0: Section seven part seven a narrative etc etc on the following morning the corsair sailed for the morilla where she remained idle for nearly three weeks at the end of that time a french vessel fell into the hands of the pirate the usual scene of cruelty and atrocity took place and when they had taken all the money and the valuable part of her cargo and destroyed and damaged the remainder, they cut away her mizzen-mast and starboard main-rigging, and in that crippled state dismissed them to pursue their voyage, forbidding them, however, to go to the Havana. The pirate returned with his plunder into the Morilla, where he anchored. Discord, however, began to rear her head among this horde of savages. Some one had insinuated that they had not been fairly dealt by, and that the captain had secreted large sums for himself. Discontent manifested itself first in whispered insinuations, and at last in open accusations, and two parties were consequently formed, one who believed him innocent, and the other guilty. Things were in this state, and each waiting only for a plausible pretext to attack the other, when murder and massacre would have ensued. "'but an unexpected event suspended the quarrel. "'The man at the masthead described the gunboats "'steering towards the corsair, "'and they were shortly after heard to scale their guns. "'These warlike preparations seemed to denote an immediate attack, "'and their private animosities were forgotten "'in the hurry of self-defense. "'The alarm, however, was without foundation, "'for they all passed on without noticing the pirate.' A fisherman, who boarded the schooner soon after, informed us that the commanding officer of the flotilla had told him that he was well aware that the schooner was a pirate, but that he had no time to go in chase of her as he was on his return. Thus ended this boasted expedition for the suppression of piracy without affecting one single object for which it was furnished and sent out. And no wonder, for I am convinced, from personal observation, that— from the governor to the mere clerk or officer, all derive some degree of benefit from the acts of those lawless ruffians, and therefore it is against their interest to injure them. The discontent that existed previous to the late alarm now broke out afresh, and the two parties would have proceeded to extremities but for the timely arrival of two gentlemen from the Havana, who I understood were the owners of the corsair. By their interference, All differences were arranged, and the newly acquired plunder being shipped on board two coasting vessels, they returned with them. The captain, on the following day, was attacked by a fever, and felt himself so indisposed that he was apprehensive of death. He sent for me in a terrible state of alarm, and promised me my liberty if I cured him. The promise I knew would be broken the moment he was well— "'So I resolved to take advantage of his illness to make my escape. "'For this I thought the best thing would be to confine him to the cabin, "'and as he promised to follow my directions implicitly, "'I gave this injunction the first thing, "'and an opportunity soon after offered. Two fishermen came on board on the following afternoon "'and exchanged their cargo of fish for spirits.' The evening being wet and stormy, they remained on board, and the crew inviting them to carouse, the whole were very shortly intoxicated. No further danger from the gunboats being apprehended, the watch was neglected, and the moment I perceived this fancied state of security, hope dawned in my bosom. I knew that intoxication would make the rest sleep sound, and in order to secure the captain in making him a mess of arrow, root, and wine, I infused a quantity of opiate. At midnight all were asleep. The inclemency of the night had driven the usual sleepers on deck below, and therefore no one could see me. Not a sound was heard save the sullen roar of the waters around me, or the wind and the rain beating against the shrouds. Not a star was to be seen, and the scud was flying thick and heavy. With a palpitating heart I seized my bag that held my instruments, and in which I had secured some biscuit, and crept softly up the companion-ladder, and from thence to the stern of the corsair, where the fisherman's canoe was moored. Into this I gently dropped my bag, and then, letting myself down, cut the painter, and let her drift away with the current, in order not to rouse them by any noise. When I judged myself to be out of hearing, I trimmed the canoe, and set the sail, steering her in the direction, as I imagined, of the Havana, and committing my future fate to the hands of that Providence who had hitherto preserved me. In the morning, according to my calculation, I found myself about forty miles from the place where the pirate was at anchor, and consequently out of the reach of pursuit. The wind blew from the southwest, and what appeared to me a special providence, continued to do so the whole day, a thing very unusual in that climate. All that day and the following night I was upon the ocean without seeing a single vessel, and at the mercy of the waves in a frail canoe in which, at any other time, and under any other circumstances, I should have been afraid to trust myself. At six o'clock of the second morning of my escape I entered the Havana, and seeing a person walking the deck of a schooner whose face appeared familiar to me, I ran my canoe alongside, and found him to be a Captain Williams, whom I had known some years before in America. He welcomed me on board, gave me refreshments, and seeing me weak and exhausted, begged me to lie down and sleep, promising in the afternoon to introduce me to the master of a vessel who was in want of a mate. I willingly complied with his request, for I was completely faint and exhausted with my exertions of the day and night previous. I now imagined my sufferings were at an end, but, alas, I had yet to pass through another ordeal, as cruel and as severe as that from which I had just escaped. When I awoke from a profound sleep in the afternoon, I found that Captain Williams had gone ashore, leaving directions with his mate where I should find him. I prevailed upon him to land me, and, while proceeding up the front street, according to my directions, I met one of the men belonging to the pirate, who, the moment he saw me, ran on before till he arrived at the corner of a street, up which he turned, and I saw no more of him. I had advanced a very few paces further, when the Spanish officer who had been on board the pirate came from that direction, with a file of soldiers, and immediately arrested me as a pirate, and, charging me with having robbed him of specie to a large amount, conducted me to the governor's offices. From thence I was taken to the prison, where I was immured in a dark dungeon, swarming with vermin, and there left without anything to cover me, and nothing but the bare floor to lie on. My daily allowance was two ounces of meat, two of bread, and a pint of rice, In this place I was a solitary prisoner for two days, and, on the third, underwent an examination, something similar in mode to those at our own police offices, except that in this instance a judge presided. The governor's interpreter, an Irishman, was the medium through whom I was interrogated as the judge did not understand English. This fellow, whose name is Payne, I found to be a most unprincipled and base scoundrel, a disgrace to any nation. The interrogations were put to me by this man in English, and the answers interpreted and committed to paper in Spanish. In the course of the examination I detailed every circumstance of my capture, and forcible detention, and the cruelties I had endured, and also to different questions gave a full account of all the vessels at the capturing of which I either assisted or had been present, this pain told me that Mr. Lumsden had already made every particular known. I represented to him the deplorable situation in which I was, without friends, money, or clothes, in a foreign land, but the only consolation I received was that I should most likely be liberated after another examination, as the judge could not, under present circumstances, attach any guilt to me. My examination being concluded, I was reconducted to my dungeon, where I was kept closely confined till the following day, and then allowed to go into a yard containing four or five hundred prisoners of all nations, and many of the very worst description. I had scarcely entered the place, when a sturdy-looking villain came up to me and demanded my trousers, insisting that I should strip them off instantly. A Spaniard, who had formerly sailed with me in a brig, of which I was master, and who was also a prisoner at the moment, recognized me, and endeavored to prevent him. But the sturdy villain was determined to have them, and I was actually obliged to battle, and wound him with a knife, of which I learned the use, to please the pirate, before he would forgo his demand. I afterwards found that it was the practice of these fellows to rob all English and American sailors— "'who were unfortunate enough to become inmates of the jail "'of whatever necessaries they might have. "'From the Spanish sailor I received many little acts of kindness. "'He procured me a bedstead to lie upon, "'would bring me my victuals, "'and in order to put me in the way of earning trifling sums "'to supply my little wants, "'taught me to make cigars, "'at which trade he himself earned several dollars a week, "'and worked for one of the largest cigar-shops in the town.' Five weeks elapsed, instead of two days, before I was called up for a second examination. At this I was informed that the only accusation against me was the affidavit of the Spanish officer, who was now gone to Europe, and in this he deposed, on oath, that I was one of a crew of pirates who had robbed him of specie to a large amount. My former deposition was then read over to me. But what was my astonishment to find that every syllable of that part which related to my capture and forcible detention had been omitted, and many other things inserted, that I had never uttered? I remarked this, when the Irishman, with a degree of violence and in an authoritative tone, declared that I had never asserted anything on the subject. A warm altercation then took place, in which I accused him as the author of my long imprisonment, and my sufferings while confined, while he, with all the voluble scurrility of his countrymen, lavished every degrading epithet on me, and concluded by a threat to represent me to the governor as a piratical scoundrel. The judge now asked this fellow what had occurred, to which he imprudently replied, Nothing. But, to his utter dismay, I immediately answered in Spanish, and, as well as I could, explained the whole matter in dispute. The judge immediately answered me, and said that, as I was a foreigner and unacquainted with their laws, he would show me every indulgence in his power, and allow me to correct all misinterpretations, that he would then go on with my examination, and that an additional interpreter should be employed as I had requested. I was then remanded to prison, and brought up the following day. On this day, I pointed out the objectionable passages in the former deposition, all which, although strenuously opposed by this renegade Irishman, were erased from the record. One of the additional interpreters on this occasion was Mr. Gassier, the harbourmaster, who said he was ready to depose on oath that Mr. Lumsden had declared that I was forcibly detained, and that the substance of that declaration was contained in a protest. "'deposited in one of the public notary's offices. "'The judge on this declared that he would examine the protest, "'and that if such was the fact, "'I should be recommended to the favorable attention of the governor. "'Having said this, he remanded me once more. "'During the interval between this and my final examination, "'a serious quarrel took place among the prisoners, "'in which five were killed and several wounded.' and it was not until the military were called that order could be restored. The imprecations, cries, and groans during its continuance were truly appalling. After languishing several weeks in this jail, I was, at last, brought up before the Governor, who sat attended by his secretary at war and two judges. Previous to being arraigned, I was asked whether I would be tried by the Spanish laws or given up to my own government— and was informed that Captain Lelcroft of the Hyperion, then in port, had demanded to have me sent to Jamaica, but that he had refused to comply with the demand, as the pirate was a Spanish vessel, and manned by Spaniards, and that, therefore, I was amenable to the laws of Spain. He said, however, that I should have my choice. I immediately begged that, as the whole of the circumstances of my case were known in the Havana, I MIGHT BE TRIED ON THE SPOT. The usual forms having been gone through, I entered on my defense, and recapitulated the whole of the circumstances from the capture to the moment of my escape and apprehension, dwelling forcibly upon every fact, and pointing out the injury I had sustained, not only in loss of property, but, what was far dearer to me, the loss of character praying him to consider at the same time that I was at a distance of four thousand miles from my native country, and destitute of every means. The Governor heard me with the greatest attention, and my narrative evidently excited great interest in his mind. When I had ceased speaking, he turned round and consulted the persons upon the bench with him, and, having received an affirmative answer from the judge who had examined me as to the truth of my statements, he addressed me in nearly the following words. In considering your case, and giving due weight to all the circumstances set forth, both in your deposition, and what you have this day laid before me, I am decidedly of opinion that you are rather an object for pity and commiseration than for prosecution. One point must, however, be inquired into before I can decide in what way the court will dispose of you. The Admiral, on the Jamaica station, has made a formal application that you should be surrendered into his hands, and be at his disposal. As I know not what right he has to make this demand, or if he has the right, whether it would be consistent with the laws of Spain, and my own duty to comply with it, I must necessarily consult with the law authorities upon the subject. Your case shall have the earliest consideration, and be brought to as speedy a conclusion as the rules of this court will admit. But, in the meantime, you must remain as you are. I bowed when he had concluded, and was reconducted in the usual manner to my prison. I had been kept in painful suspense for some days, when, one forenoon, one of the judges entered the prison-yard. "'Your case has been decided, young man,' said he, coming up to me, "'and you are to be surrendered into the hands of the admiral.' "'Be it so,' said I, "'my conscience acquits me of having committed any crime, "'and therefore I care not into whose hands I am surrendered.' "'It will be a hard case for you,' continued this upright judge, "'to be dragged to Jamaica a prisoner, and be tried a second time. "'But come,' "'You know you have been among the pirates, and have plenty of money. "'If you will give me and my brother judge what you have, "'you shall be released forthwith, and go where you please.' "'My blood boiled within me. "'If my liberty depends,' said I haughtily, "'upon what money I can give, I must needs be a prisoner all my life. "'I never partook of the fruits of their iniquity, "'and have not wherewithal at this moment "'to purchase the common necessaries of life.' Weigh well the proposal, young man,' cried he, with unblushing effrontery. "'My interest never fails. "'To it the four pirates who were released the other day "'are indebted for their safety, and from them I received four hundred doubloons.' "'I replied that I had no doubloons to give him. "'Then I cannot interfere for you,' said he coolly, and departed." The pirates whom he had liberated, had actually been convicted, and for this paltry bribe had justice been violated, and they had escaped the fate they merited. Thus are the laws of Spain administered in the island of Cuba. Confinement, bad diet, and agitation of mind, threw me shortly into a fever, under the effects of which I labored for ten days, and at one time I thought it would have released me from my sufferings. But I recovered, and recovered only to meet with inhumanity where I least expected it, from an Englishman, an admiral in His Majesty's service. I was one day called out of my bed to the gate, where I found a lieutenant of the Sibyl, Admiral Sir Charles Rowley's flagship, who informed me that he was going to have me liberated and then left me. On the following day I found three naval officers at the gate who, with a guard of Spanish soldiers, took me down to the beach where the Sibyl's boat was in waiting. I was then in due form surrendered to the British government and taken on board. What was my astonishment when I reached the deck to hear the order that I was to be taken below and put into double irons? This was the liberty that was promised. I was taken from where my limbs, at least, were free to be manacled like a felon on board of a British admiral's flagship. My wounds were still open, and my leg was swelled. I pointed out the excruciating pain that irons upon it would cause, and hoped that, if Sir Charles was determined to confine me, he would not torture me. The petty officers pitied me, but were obliged to obey their orders, and all they could do was to promise to report my request and inform the surgeon. The ship's corporal shortly after returned, saying that no orders had been given on the subject of my leg, but that the barber was to attend me, and I was then to be taken to the forecastle and washed with cold water. Remonstrance was fruitless. I was compelled to submit to this order, and contracted so severe a cold from the effects of my submersion, that I shall never completely recover from it. This order, having been complied with to the very letter, I was taken below, and again double-ironed, and, in this torture, I was kept till the following day, when the Admiral visited me, accompanied by Captain Rowley. To the latter kind, generous, and truly humane man, I feel most grateful for alleviating my misery, and doing all in his power to render my confinement as little irksome to me as was possible. The iron from my wounded leg was removed by his interference, and the surgeon sent to dress it. From this medical man also, whose name I unfortunately have forgotten, I received the greatest kindness and attention— and I take this opportunity of expressing my gratitude to him. When the Sibyl arrived in the higher latitudes, Captain Rowley's humanity was again conspicuously displayed. Seeing me thinly clad, he procured me warmer clothing, and, when he found that the purser had no blankets, gave me one from his own bed to cover me. During the whole voyage I was kept out of irons, with a sentry only over me. To prevent me from conversing with any one, and even this restraint would, I am sure, have been dispensed with, had he been in command. On the arrival of the Sibyl at the Isle of Wight, I was put in single irons. The vessel went round to Spithead, the Admiral struck his flag, and she was soon after brought to Deptford. A visible change took place as soon as the Admiral left, and my situation was rendered less irksome. In short, I CANNOT SPEAK IN TOO HIGH TERMS OF THE KINDNESS AND HUMANITY OF ALL THE OFFICERS, PARTICULARLY LIEUTENANT BENNETT. WHEN THE Sibyl WAS TAKEN OUT OF COMMISSION, I WAS TRANSFERRED TO THE Aisk TENDER, COMMANDED BY LIEUTENANT WEEKS, AND BY HIM CONVEYED ON BOARD THE GENOA GUARD-SHIP AT Sheerness. OF THE WANTON SEVERITY AND PETTY INSULTS WHICH I RECEIVED FROM THIS OFFICER DURING THE FEW HOURS I WAS IN HIS CHARGE, I SHALL SAY NOTHING. By the officers of the Genoa I was treated in the most humane and gentlemanlike manner, and to Lieutenant Hopkins and them my warmest thanks are due. After being six days on board I was sent up to London in the charge of Lieutenant Hallowell and another officer whose name has escaped me, and was treated with uniform kindness and humanity. In London I was examined before Mr. Richbald, THE PRESIDING MAGISTRATE OF THE THAMES POLICE, AND BY HIM COMMITTED TO NEWGATE, AND TRIED AND ACQUITTED AT THE ENSUING ADMIRALTY SESSIONS. THUS HAS ENDED A SERIES OF UNPARALLELED SUFFERINGS AND PERSECUTIONS, ALL OCCASIONED BY THE OBSTINATE INFATUATION OF A SINGLE INDIVIDUAL, WHO HAD NOT THE COMMON FEELINGS OF HUMANITY AFTERWARDS TO COME FORWARD HIMSELF IN MY BEHALF and God forbid that such should ever fall to the lot of any man. End of the Atrocities of the Pirates by Aaron Smith